What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Dr. Michael Rucker is a peer-reviewed author and business strategist known for his expertise in health technology and workplace wellness. His current passion is studying the benefits of fun and play and has authored a book on the subject of fun coming out in 2019. During the day, Dr. Rucker operates as the Vice President of Technology for Active Wellness, a consultancy group that delivers wellness and health-related services, serving over 50 locations in 11 states. If you're listening to this podcast, there is a good chance that your physical fitness is one of the most important aspects of your life. So why do you keep wearing those old workout shorts that are falling apart? Or even worse, when you're at the gym and something smells a little ripe? If that's the case, it's time to turn in those old shorts for a new pair of 10,000 shorts. 10,000 makes it super simple to purchase your new favorite workout apparel. My new favorite short is their distance short, which is super comfortable, lightweight, and perfect for all of my fitness goals. I can say without a doubt that 10,000 shorts are the most comfortable workout shorts I have ever worn. Like myself, 10,000 is obsessed with nailing the fit with the highest quality materials and construction. For the listeners of What Got You There, 10,000 is offering 20% off your first order of shorts. Yes, that's 20% off. This is just in time to purchase the perfect holiday gift for your loved one or even treat yourself to a new wardrobe for the New Year's goals. 10,000 makes three types of shorts for every way you train. The interval short that's built for versatility and mobility and perfect if you're into a bit of everything. It comes with an optional built-in liner that's the perfect compression without being too tight. It's made from super fine Italian fabrics. Ooh, fancy. So it's not just functional, but more comfortable without losing any support. And you need that support. The foundation short that's built for durability and perfect for anything with barbells, strength training, or even a weekend adventure. The distance short, my personal favorite, it's a super lightweight short, breathable, and built for running. Also, with a built-in liner, these shorts fade away while you run. When you check out, make sure you request their one-in-one-out kit. They do this super cool thing when you can send in your old gear you have for recycling, and you'll get 10% off your next order. Head to www.10,000.cc forward slash WGYT to receive 20% off your order. And if for some reason you don't love them, they have your back with free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns. Dr. Michael Rucker, thank you for joining us on What Got You There. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Actually, really good because I just uh, bought my dream car yesterday, so I've been playing around with the Tesla 3. And, oh, you got uh, a Tesla 3? Yeah. It, um, it uh, lives up to the hype. Does it really? What, what's yes. one of the coolest things about it? Just one day with the car, what do you absolutely love right now? Uh, the, um, acceleration I meant. So I've, I now have to be super mindful, um, because you just <laughs> step on the gas and all of a sudden you're going 110 miles per hour and I have two kids. So, um, that's not something you can do mindless. And then, uh, you know, obviously the things that are, um, out there as popular features, I mean, autopilot's pretty insane. Um, and the whole car is just re, you know, it's driving re-engineered, right? So that novelty, I really enjoy novelty in life. And so the idea of having to sort of relearn how to drive a car because it's so different, um, is super interesting. That is incredibly interesting. It's so funny. I mean, I know you've worked in marketing in the past. What inspired you to buy this car? Uh, so we're going to get deep into the details quickly. <laughs> you had warned me that this might happen. Um, 
So my little brother passed away and, uh, I got a, um, inheritance, um, from his, uh, passing and, um, he was in, he was an electronic or uh, utility trader. And so it's sort of a homage to him. And then just also in general, uh, you know, sort of this new mantra that, um, we really need to experience things here while we're on earth. And, uh, you know, it's an experience to drive that car for sure. So it's a homage to him and, and then just, you know, sort of my general worldview that we need to, um, sometimes get out of our comfort zone and, and find ways to have fun. I'm sorry to hear about the passing, but it's great that he's going to be living through the joy that you and your family are going to be experiencing with the car. I'm interesting, interested. Was this life perspective one you weren't living in the past Were you just kind of grinding through each day and not really enjoying these little moments? Yeah, I think that's um, definitely a mindset shift. Um, so one of my early mentors was a gentleman by the name of Michael Gervais, and I'm super lucky. It's just one of those um, high points. I think we all have, you know, you, you read about it in Outliers, where I got to him early before um, he really made a name for himself. Now he's the uh, performance psychologist for the Seahawks, and he works with high-level entrepreneurs and um and in sports athletes, he's done a lot of stuff with Olympians. It's also sort of put him on the map. Um, but I found him because, uh, this was at the end of Zugara marketing company that I had started at the turn of the millennium. And, um, which is just bizarre in general, sorry, quick side note, but the fact that like millennials are now saying in the two thousands just blows my mind. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I'd, I had always been a grinder. Um, and I think that's a common sort of theme, right? Especially cohorting with a lot of entrepreneurs that, uh, you know, uh, we tend to tribe together. Um, and you know, in the last decade or so, you see the development of folks like Grant Cardone and the, you know, sort of this 10 X mantra and Gary V with crush it. And you got to hustle and, you know, stop watching television, work 16 hours a day. And you will, you know, um, finally bear, you know, the, your labor will bear fruit. And ultimately I think that's proven not to be true. And you now see a counterculture, um, where, you know, productivity, uh, if you put constraints on yourself, you can actually improve your output. Um, and not only that, but experience other aspects of life that are extremely important. Um, you know, I believe that fun and play, uh, help us build resilience and resilience can't be built before, you sort of get out of that space. And certainly what I've seen is, um, people that do, uh, either have a near death experience or a, uh, the death of someone close to them, uh, sort of brings us to light, you know, the, the finite aspect of life and how we spend our hours. I mean, that answer is certainly the culmination of a lot of years of experience and life lived. I know the listeners heard your intro. I'm sure they they really want to know, though, how you articulate who you are, what you do currently. So I've had a pretty eclectic experience. I mean, and I hadn't been mindful of that until this invite to be on the podcast. Um, I've always tried to, you know, find something that I wanted to do and then go after it. Right. So, um, you know, this is always a really interesting and, and laborious conversation. And the few times that I've had to have job interviews to kind of go through that. And I'm a, I, if there's a nugget to take away from it, um, you know, because I've been in entertainment right at Universal, I've started my own marketing company with Zagara. 
Um, I then went on to produce websites for Fortune 500 companies, and now I'm in health and wellness. And all of those have been, you know, sort of using uh, a set of tools, generally, you know, uh, what falls in the category of growth hacking, but then applying them to what I want to do. Um, and then also using backdoors. So, you know, one of the things that I often talk about in dialogues like this is I'm not a believer in shortcuts. I often, you know, most of the time I see people use shortcuts. Uh, you get short-term gains, but it ends up blowing up in their face um, unless you really have a very finite goal in mind, right? And so then, you know, shortcuts would make sense if you're trying to achieve something within a week. But anything that, you know, is sort of going to have lasting meaning, um, I don't believe shortcuts work. What do work, however, though, are backdoors, right? And so the reason I've been able to do a lot of what I do um, is just using really general pro uh, principles that you know make sense when you hear them out loud, but that I think a lot of people don't deploy because of either social norms or um, you know inherent biases that we all have as part of the human condition. So, for instance, my entertainment career started because you know, like everyone else, I put out hundreds of resumes while I was living in Los Angeles and realized that that I was, you know, one of thousands of people trying to get entry level positions. Um, what I found out is that a lot of these uh, studios, when they go and this I got this information through having an internship, but when they go and film on location, they generally don't want to bring out people from Hollywood to film there. And especially, you know, in um, the 2000s, uh, a lot of stuff is filmed on location. So if you go to uh, the municipality of, you know, especially uh, locations where, uh, you know, and sorry if this is a bit of a ramble, but uh, locations where, uh, you know, there are uh, film committees, um, you can, you're, uh, there's a lot smaller pool. And so what I did to start my career was, um, uh, my hometown of Davis is near Sacramento. Uh, talked to the film commission there and found out that there was a host of different films um, being shot there. And my first entry into filmmaking was a movie, an Eddie Murphy movie called Life, um, because they were looking for Sacramento talent. And so I had, you know, Los Angeles sensibilities, um, but I was one of only a few people that could work in Sacramento. Um, and uh, you know, at the time I was right out of graduate school, so I was resource poor. So it you know, it upped my advantage on multiple levels. One, I was a qualified person and a smaller subset of uh, applicants. And then also I could live at my parents in Davis. So it kept my costs low, um, you know, while I was getting a fairly low paying job. Uh, so those kind of trade-offs, right? I mean, it's common, you know, if anyone that follows Michael Porter and sort of, you know, 101 MBA strategy, good strategy is about trade-offs and, and creating constraints, right? So that you can really achieve that goal. But again, you know, taking a shortcut um, might've not played into that particular situation. Yeah, no, I love the concept of backdoors and, and how you use those throughout the years. You mentioned the term growth hacking. Uh, it's something that's really piqued my interest as of late. And I know a lot of listeners, how do you define the term growth hacking? Um, and then how have you implemented that? So, you know, obviously the narrative about growth hacking is um, really tailored depending on who you talk to. Um, for me, you know, it's it's really finding those ways where you can get incremental growth um, and looking at the constraints of a system 
reverse engineering what you're trying to achieve and then finding ways, the most optimized way to reach your end goal. Um, and so in doing that, what I'll do is look at what I'm trying to solve for, um, re-architect it. So, you know, either looking at it in a linear fashion, which tends to be easier, the easier approach, or if it's complex, looking at the complex system and then trying to figure out what are the things that you can manipulate the easiest. Again, not using shortcuts per se, but like what is going to get you the highest output for your effort um, and then trying to solve for it as an equation. And that can be done for anything, right? I think, again, although it was a bit of a diatribe, if you look at uh, the anecdote for trying to uh, jumpstart my film career, in essence, that was growth hacking, right? I meant I had an outcome that I was looking for. The constraints that I had in a geographic region weren't working. So what was it that I needed to do? I needed to, the constraint really was a high applicant pool in Los Angeles. So I moved myself where there was a lower applicant pool and then also increased my um, value to that, you know, that particular production. Could you articulate that like this at that time? Or, did, or were you just kind of doing what you knew what to do? There it was inherent for sure. Gotcha. Yep. That's now I think I've taken a much more methodical approach. When you're doing it for yourself, I think you shoot from the hip. Um, and certainly it's come from, you know, the school of hard knocks, right? Like, <laughs> um, I think a lot of what, uh, you know, folks that have had similar paths to me, you generally see that they've tested a lot in their early years. So, um, you know, I've broken a lot of eggs and, uh, you know, but as you learn, you realize, I think you get comfortable with mistakes, right? Because the, not every back door is going to work. Um, but that you also see that, um, you tend to make better decisions over time and, uh, you know, making decisions is certainly uh, a skill, right? You, you start to increase mastery. Um, and so some of the things I do in that regard are keep a decision journal, um, I will, uh, you know, it was, uh, pen and paper and now that got a bit arduous. So I uh, just use Excel, but sort of say, this is the decision I made. What is the end goal that I'm looking for? What are the, um, you know, the variables that I'm controlling in this decision? And then what is the outcome? And I'll even do that for things like, you know, uh, um, maybe provocative decisions about the family. Right. So that's a great one as well. Like many uh, Bay Area entrepreneurs, a couple of years ago, uh, we were struggling to figure out how we were going to have the life that we had envisioned um, in San Francisco because the positional economics of San Francisco makes it pretty hard, you know, for a family of four um, to do the things they want to do. And so we took the leap and moved ourselves to North Carolina. Um, and in the end, although there were trade-offs for sure. I mean, we had to leave our friends and family behind. Uh, the payoffs mean that I can do things like buy a Tesla and we have a much bigger house for the kids, have them in a better school. Um, so, you know, I, and again, a lot of our friends back home because of biases. And I think, you know, sometimes folks get stuck in the status quo, that type of decision just wouldn't work for them because of, you know, their outlook. But as you sort of get more clinical, more quantitative about decisions, I think, you know, anyone can in ultimately improve their outcomes in both life. And, and, you know, I know that you have a, a wide entrepreneurial audience, um, in business as well. 
I would love to dive into this decision journal. You mentioned originally it was just kind of pen and paper. You transitioned that to an Excel document. How big is this document at this point? And is this something <laughs> you go back to? Or are you looking to pass decisions you've made or is it just a good frame of reference to write it down and then kind of move on? So it serves two purposes. So certainly I do go back and look at it. Um, but another thing is I want to constantly make decisions, right? So uh, it's sort of an evolution of, you know, what's one thing that I'm going to be proud of today? Um, learned that from Chris Gillibo. That's sort of one of the things that he um, talks about quite a bit. And so I took that nugget and, of you know, bent it to be more applicable to what I wanted to do. So you start with like, what's the one thing that's really going to move today forward, right? And then I added the component of, well, I want to do this better every day. So I add, you know, what is the outcome? And I don't do it for every decision, right? Like, it, you know, um, and sometimes it's got, it's gotten more complex over the years. So when I was, um, you know, uh, trying to optimize my athletic ex uh, performance, the decision would be I'm uh, doing a one hour run and then I would outsource the outcome to something like Strava. Right. But for growth hacking, um, you know, it will be like, I'm trying to get a 10% increase on my, uh, uh, subscription list. And so here's the tactic that I'm going to take today. I'm going to create a lead page and I'm going to do this type of inbound traffic to it, um, at this cost. And then I'll go back and go, wow, that was, you know, $4 per acquisition. That was a dumb decision. <laughs> have you read any Duke's thinking in bets? Um, no, I have not. Okay. No, she just, she does a great job articulating this. I don't know if you're familiar with Annie. She's a, an ex poker player, um, you pen background. And she wrote this entire book all about how decisions are made and the outcomes of those. I think you'd really enjoy that book. It's an interesting read. Uh, it's, it sounds like it would be right up your alley with how you make decisions here. You I just wrote it down. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good one. A lot of people are talking about it. She's a, a great resource. You mentioned when you're trying to do these different growth hacks, lead generation gains, things like that. How much of your time do you actually put into that? And how much is that transition that you're kind of stepping away from that moving forward? So I'm playing with that currently, right? And I know we're going to get into the play model a little bit later, but anything, and I know this is also a common narrative and I've adapted again, you know, to be useful for the way that I look at life, but anything that I deem as drudgery, I'm trying to outsource, especially as you get, you know, longer in the tooth and your time is worth a little bit more. Um, you know, uh, I just don't want to do things that, um, seem to be wasting my time. So I try to look at the complete system and then find out which things I can outsource. So for instance, you know, if it's banner ads, you can easily get banners on Fiverr, but a lot of them can be terrible, right? So that goes back to making a lot of decisions so that you can optimize for decisions later. So I've wasted a ton of money on Fiverr, but now I have two people that I love. Um, and so I go to them and I great, get a great ROI on those tasks. The same goes for content editing, right? Content is another uh, growth hacking tool, content marketing. Um, it took a long time to find an editor that knew my voice and that I was comfortable handing over a piece of my work to, to make it better and not have it completely re-engineered so that it, you know, it, that I felt comfortable putting it out on the web. So, you know, the direct question is I'm looking for those ways to optimize all the time. Um, you know, 
at first, I think I had an aversion because I certainly, I, I try to live life with a lot of empathy. And so I'm like, man, this just doesn't feel that great, you know, because, um, I am, uh, you know, benefiting from possessional economics. You know, a lot of the folks that I use are offshore. Um, but at the end of the day, they want the work and it's benefiting to me. And, um, so it creates a win-win. And as long as I'm creating value, I feel comfortable for it. But the reason I bring that up is I wonder how many people are like me that are, you know, um, want to live an ethical life and are, um, don't do that soon enough because they feel like they might be taking advantage of people. I think if there are people, Upwork is great, right? If someone's openly advertising themselves on Upwork, then it's not, you don't need to feel bad about hiring them. They're literally saying, I want a job. Um, and then it's up to you to make sure you're comfortable with that. Yeah, no, that's a good and interesting perspective. You got back to testing again, and I want to talk about testing and how that relates to failure. And you mentioned you have to fail and you've failed a lot. How do you view failure today? And when you experience a failure, does that stay with you for a while? Or have you gotten so used to it where you fail, you learn from it, you get rid of it, and it's no longer in your brain? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, and there's a lot to unpack, especially because that's something that I've been giving a lot of thought lately. So there's a few things there, right? I'll, I'll try to bullet it out. One is as you get better at making decisions, then you're comfortable with the failure. I think I got this early on from some of Tim Ferriss's work, right? You look at the worst possible outcome of your decision. And if you're okay with it, then go forward with the decision. If you're not, then the risk reward paradigm is probably a little bit off and you might want to rethink that decision so you don't have to live with the risk. And because of that, because my decisions are sort of sent through that framework before I go forward with anything, I can live with any failure because I already know, I've already thought forward what that failure might be. And, you know, 99% of the time, it's not going to be as bad as you planned out, right? So that's one thing. So I've limited my um, failures to be things that I can live with. And therefore, if it happens, it's like, okay, well, this was something that, you know, I had planned for and we'll do better next time. Um, because sometimes things are out of your control, right? And so sometimes bad things are going to happen. And so that's a good segue into, I've really tried to limit my enjoyment and, uh, where I find joy from outcomes into the journey. And so that's something that's really been a focus this year too. Um, I've gotten beaten over the head, uh, by this concept, by people that I really admire for the last decade. I think, you know, I've also been interviewing people for the last 11 years and the people that really find joy in life continually told me that it's really the process of getting to where they were. Um, one that really sticks out is Jeff Atkinson, who was, uh, uh an uh, Olympic athlete. Um, and I believe the first person collegially to run a four minute mile, um, and he could care less about any of these like inflection points that we write about, right? You know, the, the trophy, they were really finding joy in the process of getting there. And so, you know, that's an interesting conundrum of someone that likes growth hacking, right? Cause at the end of the day, I'm evaluating a decision based on that single quantitative output. Like, yeah, you know what? I, my goal was 12% and I got 20%. But now I'm really enjoying the process. You know, I'm enjoying the people that I work with because, as I mentioned to you, I've curated my team over time. And so the people that I work with, I really like both in my day job and then, you know, my side hustle. Um, and then 
Yeah, so sorry, I lost track. <laughs> if you want to reel me back in. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love the framework and, and how you break it down. And what I appreciate most, I think, is the amount of thought you put into this for understanding how you work better, what the outcomes result in both for yourself personally and then even for your family. So it's really cool to hear about your thought process along that. You're also focused at the intersection of technology and wellness. And I just wanna know, what does your day look like? Let's start with morning routines. I'm assuming you put a lot of thought into different outcomes that you've benefited from based on strategies, implementations. I would love hearing about some of those things you do. Yeah, do you mind uh, qualifying that question? Because that's a pretty large question to unpack. Um, just because my, so I'll confess that my um, day is filled with all sorts of duties. So in essence, I'm, you know, I'm the VP of technology for an enterprise firm that has, that runs health clubs throughout the United States. And so on any given day, I can be outfitting a fitness center. I can be working with um, the health management team of one of the corporations that we work with to deploy an intervention, you know, something like a uh, activity challenge or a heart rate challenge or things of that nature um, to exploring, you know, some of the uh, bleeding edge aspects of recovery, um, you know, because we also place uh, wellness centers in hospitals. So things like um, alter G and uh, muscle sound and, you know, some really interesting and provocative ways uh, for rehabilitation of injury. So I'm sure that with you because I don't know where to start. Yeah, no, I think what the listeners will get the most out of is you personally. So let's say every morning you start your day, you have a double espresso and you get right into work and you're answering emails. And then later in the day, maybe even before entering a big meeting, I don't know if you do a breath work routine, anything like that, little things that you implement that you found have just given you more success. So let's just start at the morning. How, how do you start your day? What do you do once you wake up? Yeah. So, um, well, I have two kids, so, uh, I really, you know, this is going to get again back into the meat, but I'm trying to make sure that my day balanced is such a convoluted word, right? So I'm careful not to use it. I don't, I think most practitioners in this, you know, sort of space or people that are paying attention to, you know, really how to create, uh, a higher level of well-being in anyone, um, knows that balance is a loaded word, right? But I am trying to make sure that I instill joy in my day. So instead of rushing out the door and, you know, being annoyed by my children because they're always running late, there's a great meme out there right now that's basically a slug that takes a whole hour to go across the, the GIF. And um, it says, my children getting ready for school, right? <laughs> so I think most parents can can relate to that. But instead of like getting myself in a mental mindset where I'm going to be upset that they're late. I just try to really enjoy my time with them. Um, there's a coffee shop on the way where I love the proprietor. He's a grinder, an entrepreneur, and you know, it's just, that's his chosen life to have a coffee cart. So have a five minute conversation with him so that I'm getting to my day without the noise of the day before. Right. And then I do some, you know, sort of common tactics that you hear quite a bit. I try not to answer email for the first hour. Um, the, po the folks that really need to get to me, if there is some sort of uh, technological emergency, they know to text me um, and then try to move one big rock for that first hour. And that's another benefit um, that, you know, going back to my decision journal, that's really interesting moving to the East Coast. So, that's a much longer story, longer than we have for this podcast. But, Moving to the East Coast has also 
added that window, right? Because the majority of my team is on California. So I really have two hours to move big rocks, you know, to steal from Stephen Covey um, uh, before I need to get into the thick of the workday. Unfortunately, because I'm on the IT side, you know, um, disasters and interruptions are just commonplace. So I've uh, don't know that I have any like great nuggets for how to deal with continual interruptions, except you know some of the common frameworks that you hear. Where I really try to inspire my team to look for the most impactful. Um, you know, again, to steal from Cubby, what's important and not urgent, because those are the things that tend to create value. Um, when we react instead of act, we generally never create value, right? I mean, everything is under load. You make terrible decisions. Um, you're really just trying to put out the fire rather than trying to create anything that it will be a lasting solution. So, you know, to go back and in brief, um, really try to move those big rocks and create value those first couple hours, because to be honest, the nature of um, technology is that you are going to have things go down throughout the rest of the day, especially when you're the quarterback. Yeah, simple tactics, but once implemented, can have profound benefits on you. I'm also interested, end of the day, evening routine, is there anything to help prepare you for the next day that you do? So this is interesting, and it's going to get back to the play model. Um, I think it's really important, again, looking at, um, you know, I didn't think this was going to be uh, sort of the overarching theme of uh, our discussion, but it, it's good, um, you know, because it does play into how can we optimize our lives, right? And so um, what was happening um, the last year, because my wife and I both have full-time work and you know we're both A-type, is that we would get home fairly exhausted and then still have to tend to things that we didn't want to do. Um, and so that led to marital stress. It led to our kids seeing us flustered instead of you know both um, sets enjoying time with each other. So, um, what we did is we realized the, you know, I kind of used some of the strategies that I'm putting together in the book that I'm writing. Um, what is like the one or two things that we just don't really want to do? And so we identified that it was every time we have to bathe our kids, they fight us, they hate it. Um, and we hate it. So we're more upset by the end of that particular, um, action. How could we, get out of that. And so we bring in someone three days a week to bathe our kids. And as silly as that sounds, I mean, it happens all the time, right? Like we can't afford a nanny. We're not in that particular spot in our lives right now, but we could afford this person and people that can't afford nannies, that is a task that they would do. Um, and so at the end of the day, we now have dinner with each other and it's, it's a complete reset. Um, it was a great intervention for our marriage. Our kids, for whatever reason, like the um, person that we've hired. So, um, and I think it, because it's not their parents, they don't fight her. So they're happy when we get home. And then we have a great hour, the four of us together. I mean, it just changed the game. Um, and so that's a great anecdote into, you know, how all of this stuff can work. And it's just a simple thing, right? Like, there was a leap, right? I think it's weird for parents to go, well, that's a pretty intimate act, right? Like uh, someone else is going to wash my three and six year old. And that's a, pretty much going to be the only thing they do. But the outcome was amazing. Um, and so, you know, those activities for renewal, like changing 
things that end up um, stealing from resilience to things that add resilience. I mean, obviously I'm in the health and wellness space, so uh, I also try and work out. Um, but I think that's, you know, most people know that's good for them at this point. Yeah, no, I appreciate how you go about problems. And what seemed like a, just an everyday occurrence for you led to a much greater just call it a growth for your relationship and your family. So it's cool to hear you implementing those things. You mentioned the play model. We've talked about it multiple times. I know you're working on a book that's going to come out in 2019. We're going to have the play model linked up in the show notes. So the listeners, you guys can click on that now just to look at um, what Mike's talking about. Can you describe the play model and how you came up with it? Yeah. So, you know, like most good models, it's uh, uh, a culmination of, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants for sure. But in essence, it's just a framework to make better decisions, right? And so one of the things that we found is, especially now that people are you know, so burnt out, that a lot of what people think is leisure really isn't leading to renewal. Um, and so some common things are you know, like Instagram viewing or mindless television watching or whatever it is, right? You get home and uh, you know, we know that most people are living in a sleep deficit. But what we're is not really come to light is that a lot of that is because we are when we're so tired, we're almost too tired to sleep and we engage in activity that isn't really renewing us. Right. So there's a you know, the play model, there's a lot to unpack, but it's really kind of a decision tree based on most of what we've talked about, um, you know, during this podcast of looking at the things that you do in the 168 hours that you have in a week and figuring out whether one, you're making the right choices about it. And two, is it really stuff that, you know, is adding to um, your livelihood? Because it sounds like a lot of your listeners probably work quite a few hours. And so they, you know, if you take, uh, you know, sleep into the equation as well, that leaves very limited time for all the other stuff that you want to do in life, right? So this framework kind of allows you to put your different activities in and give you, uh, you know, allow you to use your mind to go, wait, wow, this is stuff that I really don't want to do. And so I'll use a lot of examples that we've already talked about so that I don't have to, you know, um, come up with unique anecdotes. Um, but, uh, so for pleasing, right. It would be, like I said, in the morning with my kids, right. I meant that could be, uh, something that wasn't a renewal, but with a mindset, it's something that has to be done and I've turned it into a more enjoyable activity. So when I start my day, I'm not pissed off because my kids are late for school. I'm stoked that I actually spent time talking with them about their homework. Um, uh, living, which is another quadrant in the model, um, is really looking for how do we increase those peak experiences, right? And I think this is really at the core. Like a lot of us, you know, week after week goes by and we're not increasing our options to do things that we really want to do. And sometimes, again, you know, something that sounds so simple is just a basic uh, mindset shift. Like, you know what, I've always wanted to uh, parachute, uh, for instance, or whatever it is, right? Every time I come up with one thing, like inevitably someone on Twitter is like, well, I hate parachuting or parachuting will kill you or whatever, you know, <laughs> but whatever it is for you, right? Like, uh, visiting an exotic place or, you know, finally finishing your book or whatever it is, you know, just looking at those 168 hours in your, 
in your week and figuring out how can you move yourself towards that. So let's take the parachuting example since it was top of mind. Like maybe even just going to Fiverr and, and asking someone, you know, I don't have time to research the five places, um, you know, that I could do in a hundred uh, mile radius of my house. Can you do that for me and call them? Um, and that's only $5, right? And then the output of that decision is going to be, you're going to know which one's good. Um, and you can move that much closer. You're reducing friction to, you know, actually doing something where you're going to create a memorable, a memorable experience. And I know you had Dan Heath on, I meant, you know, his whole book is about that. Right. Um, and then I had mentioned to you I, in the pre-interview, I've really been enjoying, uh, Laura Vanderkam's work. And, uh, one of the things that she's brought to light, um, is the fact that if we don't have these peak experiences, then especially for entrepreneurs and, um, is that time all blends together. Like if we work day after day and have repetitive tasks, the way that our brain works is we store all those tasks as one memory. So when you look back at it in 10 to 20 years, you wonder where the time went because you can't recall like, wow, okay, I went to Rome and then I went and parachuted. And then I had a great experience with an old high school friend because I took the initiative um, you know, to contact this person. And they were so stoked because that's something that they wouldn't have done, but they really wanted to reconnect. Um, so, it, you know, again, uh, you know, making the right decisions. And then on the lower part, you know, really finding those areas that um, aren't leading to anything that end up being, you know, draining on our system. So we talked about the agonizing work, right? Like how can I outsource making a banner because I'm not that great at Photoshop, right? Or for instance, our taxes for whatever reason, probably, you know, to save money, my wife and I did our own taxes and that's like the best, uh, that just sucked. Right. And we didn't realize that, you know, we needed a sophisticated accountant, but you can pay, um, uh, somebody, you know, just a few dollars to organize your receipts. I actually found a service called Shoebox where I just send a huge envelopes of receipts and they send me back a spreadsheet. That saved like four hours of my time, right? So there are a lot of these things that you can look at it in your 168 hours um, and just figure out how can I optimize my ability to do that or, um, or outsource it to somebody else. And then, the, you know, we talked about, I'm really careful about yielding because Television has a, a rich set of scientific data to show that actually makes us more depressed. Um, it's not a good use of time. It actually makes us more tired because it's, you know, the, um, and so I could go on and on, but every time I bring this up, people get triggered because, you know, a lot of people do like their favorite shows. And there's certainly times if you're mindful, it, like, let's say you're going to a great movie with friends and it's an enjoyable experience it wouldn't necessarily be in that quadrant. It certainly would be pleasing, right? But what I'm talking about is, you know, uh, playing Angry Birds for two hours and not realizing you just wasted that time. And then you're so tired because you should have gone to bed at 10. Um, and so that's going to be really personal, excuse me, personal. Um, but it's important because especially when you do these time audits, right? When you pay attention to how you're spending your 168 hours, you're effing blown away. And actually, it's pretty topical, right? Because I think I'm an Android user, but I believe iPhone is now allowing people to um, easily audit their time on the phone. And I've seen all these you know, anecdotal posts that people are like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was spending six hours on Instagram. I mean, you know, so those are just 
again, to go back to decisions, once you're aware of it and you use a framework like mine or somebody else's, you instantly see a lift. And it goes back to, yes, you know, whatever growth hacking means to whoever, this is certainly a growth hacking method to make sure that you have more fun and play in your life, um, which ultimately we know leads to greater well-being. With your own time auditing, do you have a specific way that you go about that? Is it each week, um, once a year? How do you audit that? Oh, you only need to do it a week. And I fell back on my sensibilities um, there uh, from all the nutrition stuff in, you know, in a previous life. Um, but so one thing we know about nutritional journaling, uh, journaling rather, um, is most people in the population won't do it for more than a week and you get ample data, right? And so, and it's a funny exercise. Um, again, going back to Laura's work, she's done it. Um, she's facilitated it with a lot more people than I have, but ultimately someone will look at their first week and be like, oh yeah, but there's like three or four different outliers here. So this isn't really a good week. Okay, fine. Do it again. Right. And then ultimately you realize like any of those given weeks are pretty true indication of how much time you're wasting. Um, and you know, just being mindful of that. I think a lot of us lose, you know, to use an old metaphor, we lose track of time. Right. And it's easy to do. It's also easy to kid ourselves that we're having, um, uh, that we're using our time wisely. Right. I mean, I certainly think, although I'm a huge fan of social media, um, these, you know, great experiences that we could be having with family and friends and doing things that, you know, that are on our bucket list and, and, you know, are really important for situational intimacy. Um, you, you know, we're giving way to vicarious displacement through watching other people live their lives. Um, and you know, we could, that's a whole nother topic, right? But that stuff is handpicked. It's curated by the people doing it. Um, I don't know about yourself, but the friends of mine that are having the most fun are the ones that aren't on social media. It's unbelievable just how much of a drain social media can end up being where you think you get those little dopamine hits, but for your overall well-being, they really drain you quite a bit. I want to dive back to peak experiences for a second, and I just want to know the frequency you try to have those throughout a year. So that's a great question. I don't know that I quant that. Um, I've made, you know, any good partnership uh, you try and communicate well with your partner. Right. And so I've asked my wife to at least have the ability to do four of those a year. Uh, and I tried to be super deliberate. Um, the one that I just partook in was I did the sumo 50. Noah Kagan brought a bunch of, I don't, I think most of your listeners will know who Noah is. He's yeah, the head he's of been a guest on the podcast. Oh yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went out with him and, uh, you know, 30 other entrepreneurs and we rode, um, uh, to, uh, buy laptops for underprivileged kids in Austin. And so that was great. And I would count that as a peak experience. I mean, it's a half century, um, you know, it was with a bunch of great guys and, you know, it's just a great weekend. So short answer is, um, you know, one a quarter, um, because I have kids and, uh, you know, I would do a lot more if I was single, but, um, that's not my current reality. So we were just talking about the play model, which is going to be a, a big segment of your upcoming book. What's it like tackling that challenge of trying to write a book? Um, that's a great question because I'm in it, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know if this is going to be the answer that you were looking for, but it, 
for me, it's come full circle. Um, and I think I told you one of the reasons that the book is delayed is I've made the decision to go through traditional publishing. And when you do that, you work with a team of experts that are going to make sure that the book reaches a broad audience. So I believe that they're probably great books. In fact, I've read a lot of them by people that don't want their message touched. Um, and then there are great books that find a wide audience because people have worked with outside experts to make sure that your message, one, is reachable to a wide audience, and two, you stay on point, right? So it's not pedantic or basically you know, a verbal diarrhea of what you want to get out into the world, but instead um, you know, creates utility. And at the end of reading the book, the user has something that they can use because you were able to keep them focused. Um, and that's just part of the human condition, right? To decomplex things so that they are more palatable and more commercial. Um, and I learned that early on, you know, going back to my roots while working at Universal, I started, I had mentioned I had an internship. It was in the story department. And I would see these amazing writers just get crushed um, because they would get feedback on their scripts. And it would basically say, hey, this is a great idea. But because you're not really following the her, you know, the hero's journey format, it's never going to find an audience. And so the hardest part for me was sort of remembering that advice um, and that crossroads of, I really think I have a lot of great information to share with the world, but if I present it in a way that I would, which is very academic, um, that people are going to be bored by the first chapter. So, you know, swallowing that jagged pill and making the decision of whether or not I wanted to produce this book so I could look smart and, you know, um, and, and have my message untainted or turn it into a product that, um, you know, will actually help people. And by doing that, you know, uh, being humbled um, and working with experts that know what they're doing. And so I took the latter um, and, you know, but that's part of the process. One of the early things you need to learn um, is a writing habit. You know, again, that's pretty one-on-one stuff, but to your point, sometimes that's a good reminder. Uh, so that's another part of, uh, my daily routine is I will find, I will schedule that space. Um, a lot of times I can't do it in the morning because I, you know, I'm pretty committed to my day job, but I'll find the space to write 30 minutes a day. And that's a, I think that's like, if there are any people here that want to write a book, um, there's kind of two ways to do it, right? There's a very hacker, shortcut way. And you know, my feeling on shortcuts and that is to use something like rev.com and basically either have a friend interview you or, you know, someone that's really good at this interview you and then turn all those words into a book. And generally those wouldn't be published by a traditional publisher because it is verbal diarrhea, but it's a way to get 8,000, uh, excuse me, 80,000 words on a, you know, down fairly quickly. Um, the other is to write 30 minutes a day. If you don't have that writing habit, you're not going to be able to finish a, a publishable book. Now, I love hearing about how, how you still tackle that while having a day job. You clearly have read a ton of books. Um, you, bring, you brought up a lot of different authors here on this podcast. I really wanted to deconstruct your learning process and then also hear about some of your favorite books. Sure. So it's funny you bring that up because there's... <laughs> I've always loved books, but I'm a slow reader. And I think that's a blessing and a curse, right? The blessing is I keep a lot of the meat. Um, the curse is I can only read about one or two books a month. 
Um, and I used to uh, write notes and highlight. And there's a great Malcolm in the middle where Malcolm is trying to do his homework and his brother like flips through his textbook and the whole thing's highlighted. And he's like, I think you've missed the point of highlighting. And I swear to you, I did the exact same thing. My wife just laughed. She's like, what? I mean, is this so, you know, like a, a method for you to read line by line? I'm like, no, this is what's important to me. And she's like, okay, so clearly nothing's important, right? So that was a good learning lesson for me to um, sort of go a level up and figure out where is the meat from the bone. Um, and so that's sort of my reading. Like, I love things like Blinkist. Are you familiar with that service? Yes. Um, but I don't find a lot of value uh, in reading a book for the first time. I love Blinkist for after consuming a book and then it reminding me of the tenets of that book. Um, but I found uh, like StoryBrand, you've asked me what you know some of my current favorites are. StoryBrand is such a great book, the SB7 framework. I first listened to that on Blinkist and I couldn't have told you the seven steps of SB7. But then, you know, um, uh, Donald Miller has such great stuff. You know, you get immersed in that book and then, you know, he's done such a great job as an author to have all of these tools um, provided to you to make the book more useful. Um, you know, again, I think that's, uh, there's a lot of nuggets in there. Uh, I love Nir Eyal's book, Hooked. Uh, you know, a great sort of learning lesson for me of disseminating some really rich content into basically a four-part model, like the play model. Um, and I just really like Nier in general. Um, yeah, so those are, you know, Hooked and StoryBrand are uh, two of my current favorite. Is there anything else you do to consume knowledge, whether that be audiobooks, podcasts, blogs, articles, things like that? Yeah, I keep outlines. So it's funny. Um, actually, this is something that's fairly new. So you're getting hot off the press. <laughs> so I realized that I really miss school, right? So I promised my wife I would never go back to school because I have six degrees, which is ridiculous. Yes, in you, its have own a, right. you have a pretty impressive resume. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I promised her that I wouldn't do it in a fashion where I had, um, that I was committed to that. Um, but secretly, and if she listens to this, this will be the first time she's hearing it. So I created a spring semester. I've gotten a little bit early start, but I, I titled it in Google Docs, spring semester 2019. Um, and uh, during Udemy's Black Friday sale, I signed up for six classes that I really, where I really wanted to learn. Um, and basically, you know, created a semester plan for me. And actually, you know, to be quite honest, it's not all um, Udemy classes. I'm taking um, a click-minded course. Um, and then Chad Allen is uh, another, um, I, I'm, I'm married to Tim Grawl now, but Tim, uh, excuse me, uh, Chad Allen is another person that helps out authors. So I'm taking a course from him. And uh, yeah, so I created a semester um program for me. And, um, you know, I'm just outlining it like I would have done it if I was in an academic setting. Um, you know, because then you have your course notes and that's what I'm familiar with and it's worked, you know, for the last 20 years. So again, I think that's another important thing to hit on, right? If something's not really broken, there's no reason to fix it. You can always test against it to optimize it, but that's a really familiar, uh, format for me outlining stuff. And I love the, the analogy of pulling meat from the bone. Um, and then another thing I learned from Tim Ferriss is something's terrible, delete it. And I was so bad at that. Um, like I remember, and I know people love this book, so I hope I don't make any enemies. And I certainly like Ryan Holiday, and I know he had a hand in um, at least promoting the book. 
But I tried to get through uh, the 48 uh, laws of power and I ended up doing it. But at the end of the day, I didn't find too much value in that book. And, um, and so going back to Tim Ferriss, he said, if you're not getting value out of something, you know, put it down. And so I think that's important too, right? If you're 40, 50 pages into something, again, making better decisions and growth hacking and optimizing, right? Like why waste your time reading the other, you know, 200 pages of that book? Um, or go back to Blinkist and see if the end of the book is going to be advantageous for you and sort of pick and choose. But I was really bad at never wanting, you know, if I opened a book, not wanting to not finish it. And so I've sort of optimized the way I learn in that regard too. If something, you know, is either um, too sophomoric or it was just not in line with what I thought I was going to get out of it, whether it's an online course um, or a book, uh, I just discard it now. Um, You know, the opportunity cost is, isn't there. And the nice thing, at least at my stage in life is books are so cheap and generally most courses, you know, you can find deep discounts in them. The investment doesn't create that sort of sunk cost aversion where if you do put it down, you're going to be upset. And a lot of times the books that I don't like, I donate. So I feel good about that too. I love the idea around the spring semester, such a great actionable thing to do to set yourself up for success. You, you, you buy the courses, you outline them, which is the key thing there. It's awesome to hear about that. Dr. Michael Rucker, you've been tremendous. The amount of nuggets and knowledge that the listeners can pull from today's episode is just going to be so beneficial for them in 2019. If you could leave them with one more little nugget of advice, what would it be? Let's picture a young entrepreneur right now getting started in a business. What would you recommend for them? To look at their weekly routine and figure out where they can optimize opportunities for renewal, fun, and play. I think one of the things that's sort of gotten lost in today's society is that, um, you know, a lot of us don't hit grand slams continually. And so you need to bake in opportunities where you're not so singly minded um, on one outcome. And that if things do go wrong, when you look back on your life, you're like, okay, well, that didn't work, but these three things did. And you certainly don't want to look back at your life and say, I didn't, you know, create any opportunities for, uh, you know, exceptional experiences and, and fun and play with my friends and family. Um, and because of sort of the common dictum right now, again, you know, 10 X mentality, the hustle mentality, you're seeing more and more people sort of burn out and why this is important. And, you know, like the folks from 37 signals and others are preaching this when you dig into the data and you find out that people are overclocked, they're generally, their productivity is actually going down as well. And so these ideas of being mindful and making better decisions about how you spend your time, not just in work, but also what you do for renewal so you can do your work better, if that's really what you want to prioritize in your life, um, is super important and really easy to do if you just take the time to mindfully think about uh, the activities in your daily week. Such great advice. You have a busy 2019 coming up. I know the book's probably going to be coming out at the end of the year. Until then, where can the listeners best stay connected with you? Yeah, it'd be great. Um, uh, please visit uh, michaelrucker.com and sign up for the list if you're interested uh, in the content of this book. I'll be sending out all sorts of bonuses throughout the year to get people excited about it. And I'd love to have you on my mailing list. Thanks for the opportunity for me to share that. Yeah, you bet. We'll have all that linked up in the show notes. But once again, Dr. Michael Rucker, I can't thank you enough for joining us on What Got You There. Thank you so much for having me.
If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that your physical fitness is one of the most important aspects of your life. So why do you keep wearing those old workout shorts that are falling apart? Or even worse, when you're at the gym and something smells a little ripe? If that's the case, it's time to turn in those old shorts for a new pair of 10,000 shorts. 10,000 makes it super simple to purchase your new favorite workout apparel. My new favorite short is their distance short, which is super comfortable, lightweight, and perfect for all of my fitness goals. I can say without a doubt that 10,000 shorts are the most comfortable workout shorts I've ever worn. Like myself, 10,000 is obsessed with nailing the fit with the highest quality materials and construction. For the listeners of What Got You There, 10,000 is offering 20% off your first order of shorts. Yes, that's 20% off. This is just in time to purchase the perfect holiday gift for your loved one or even treat yourself to a new wardrobe for the New Year's goals. When you check out, make sure you request their one-in-one-out kit. They do this super cool thing when you can send in your old gear you have for recycling and you'll get 10% off your next order. Head to www.10,000.cc forward slash WGYT to receive 20% off your order. And if for some reason you don't love them, they have your back with free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns. A few months ago, my body was experiencing a ton of pain, and that's when my friend and former podcast guest Noah Olson turned me on to Pure Spectrum CBD. Their CBD products have been tremendous in relieving a lot of the pain in my body. Their products are pure because everything they make is tested every time for quality, consistency, and efficiency. They're 100% organic, third-party tested. There's a 100% guarantee, and they're THC-free. If you want to receive 10% off the entire site, head to PureSpectrumCBD.com and enter code WGYT. That's 10% off the entire website at PureSpectrumCBD.com with code WGYT. For the What Got You There listeners who love to travel and want to see the world, listen up. We've teamed up with Globekick, who make it affordable to enjoy peak life experiences with like-minded people from around the world. Globekick expertly designs, curates, and scouts global adventures for you to join. Each trip lasts one week and is designed to balance their unique blend of adventure, culture immersion, and relaxation. Globekick has some epic adventures planned, such as cage diving with great white sharks in Cape Town, South Africa, dog sledding and northern light chasing in Norway, and to see the rest, head to globekick.com. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then make sure to stop at globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.